Google floats Flock as cookie replacement. Twitter crowdsourcing fact checks. Twitter acquires review. Facebook reports strong earnings but foreshadows challenges. And Facebook Oversight Board makes first decisions. It's Monday, February 1st, 2020. All of that's coming up along with the week's news quick hits on episode 434 of Brave Ad World. Consumers, new media, new strategies. This is Brave Ad World. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 434 of Brave Ad World, the official podcast of BraveAdWorld.com, which combines actual insights with some of the latest headlines in social media and digital marketing news. Every week or close to it, I take the top stories, provide a recap, and then share insights as to what those stories might mean to us as marketers. My name is Taylor Wigert, and wow, do we have... Like, what a crazy week. Um, So much happened this week. I'm going to try to hit on most of it. I'm not going to talk about what's going on with Robinhood and everything there. I think there's plenty of conversation going on about that. I think I listened to eight podcasts explaining it already. So I'm just going to dive into some more marketing-centric stories out there. So the first is Google. So, you know, the days of the third-party cookie, they're certainly numbered, and advertisers are wondering, what's going to step in for them? And Google claims that it may have an answer. Its latest attempt is called Federated Learning of Cohorts. And because that's a mouthful, it's called Flock, as in short. And it puts users into groups organized by interests using machine learning. Now, what advertisers can do is then target those groups. And Google claims that gives advertisers about 95% of the conversions per dollar spent that they normally get using cookies. So it's not a one-for-one trade-off, but according to Google, it's pretty close. Now, it's unclear where the 95% number comes from and how it's calculated. Is it one one for one in terms of actual number of conversions or are impressions bought through Flock? Are they just cheaper? Are they just cheaper? And that's going to need to be answered to at least set expectations in terms of what advertisers can actually expect if they are buying based off of Flock. The second concern is this is just part another part of Google's privacy sandbox. And that means advertisers would still be reliant on Google and the Chrome browser to target these groups. So questions have yet to be answered around this as well as other potential cookie replacement options, but the potential loss of ad revenue, like Google's working very hard to find a solution and this is the latest option. All right, let's jump next and talk about Twitter because Twitter, they're working to enlist their users to be a counter to misinformation on their platform with a new feature called Birdwatch. Now, it's essentially tweet annotations. What users can do is they can identify information in a tweet and then add notes to clarify that tweet. They can correct, they can add additional context, notes that have reached a level of consensus among a broad group of other users. They'll be visible to all other users. It's basically Wikipedia meets fact-checking meets Twitter. It's currently in testing in the United States among users who have applied to be part of the program. Twitter knows it has a misinformation problem. In a move like this, it really shows just how big that problem is. The company is really waking up to the fact that it can't handle the level of misinformation on its own. Of course, an approach like this, it comes with a lot of risks. Like It's basically Twitter offloading responsibility of fact-checking to its users, and it's the public that has been spreading misinformation. So this asks the public to essentially 
fix it. Twitter is going to really need to be careful that this doesn't A, exacerbate existing problems and that misinformation continues to flow just in another form through this platform. And it needs to be careful that minority views aren't cudgeled into submission by more dominant viewpoints. And that's what's going to be interesting uh, in terms of we've seen how quickly the mob mentality can take over on social media. And will this actually mean the the suppression of, of certain views? We'll see what happens. All right, let's jump next and talk about Twitter because Twitter has acquired Review. This is a newsletter publishing platform. It, it's going to remain as a standalone service, but Twitter says it's all part of their plans to improve conversations on the platform to help creators better create and connect with their audiences. The move, it's really Twitter tapping into one of its best assets. It's prominent writers, thinkers, publishers. The acquisition, it comes at a time in which the newsletter service Substack, it's been growing like crazy with a high number of paid newsletters. Twitter actually tried to acquire Substack last year, but now with Review, it's just making moves to compete. The pro features are now free on all accounts with Review, and it lowered the cut that it will take from paid newsletters to 5%. Substack's cut, it's 10%. Review is going to continue, like I said, as a standalone service, So this, but this may be part of a much rumored but, but seemingly distant, like we never knew when it was going to come, paid subscription version of Twitter. Twitter has the thinkers. It has the creators. Now it has a way to help those individuals reach their audiences more effectively and more profitably. All right, let's talk about Facebook and their earnings report because it was the Facebook earnings report. It was much of what we're already used to. Q4 sales, they were up 33%, primarily attributed to the rise of online shopping and the related demand for advertising. But the interesting part of the earnings report were challenges that may be ahead driving driven by, quote, significant uncertainty, unquote. So COVID social distancing, they fueled the usage for Facebook and its properties by both users and businesses, but with a vaccine rollout underway, regulatory scrutiny on the rise, and then challenges related to free speech, Facebook warned that the future, it's less certain than it would like. We can be sure Facebook isn't going to fall by the wayside anytime soon, but there will likely be some pent-up demand for offline experiences that will lead to a, a normalization around e-commerce. And then regulation in some form, it seems more possible than ever, but timing around that, pretty uncertain at best. That seems like a much uh, longer term sort of thing that's going to happen. But perhaps what's most interesting is Facebook really has no fans of its brand. Like Trump supporters, they're upset the former president has been removed from the platform. And the other side of the political spectrum sees Facebook as a driver of misinformation. To that point, Zuckerberg announced that the algorithm will no longer recommend groups focused on political or social issues. That's a follow-up to its decision to pause political advertising leading right up to and immediately following the 2020 U.S. presidential election. How that comes to life, though, it's unclear because Zuckerberg has also noted a commitment to, quote, free expression, unquote. So we'll see what happens there. But alternatives to Facebook, like people are looking, people are experimenting, people are looking possibly to jump ship and try other platforms. Then 
There's Apple, which is challenging Facebook and Google with their privacy protection. Zuckerberg went so far out as to call Apple a competitor on the call for its move to ask users if they would like to opt in to sharing their their mobile information for ad tracking. Related, Google announced that Maps and YouTube will no longer use a tool that allows them to personalize ads on iOS devices to circumvent warnings that their browsing is being tracked now. Google users, they're usually logged in, so it can still track users without Apple's IDFA tracking, but it is telling advertisers that that they should expect lower performance. Google has a plan, though. But Facebook, they're, they're clearly seeing and feeling pressure on all sides. Like their brand, it's been eroded. Regulatory scrutiny is underway. Its users aren't all that happy with it. And then privacy protections are certainly taking hold more and more. The uncertainty of the future, it's going to, will make watching Facebook much more interesting than it has been over the years. It's not going to be same old, same old record profits. I think there are going to be challenges that we're going to be talking about, especially over the next couple of years. All right, speaking of challenges, let's talk about Facebook's oversight board because Facebook's oversight board, they released uh, their first set of rulings and it ended up overturning four of the five decisions that it reviewed. So the board, it reinstated a post in Myanmar that is is akin to hate speech directed at Muslims because the board said it was commentary. Then there was a post raising awareness for breast cancer in Brazil that included pictures of female breasts. That was reinstated after being removed as the board asked Facebook for more information on how it makes decisions regarding this content. That's important. A lot of the rulings was the oversight board asking Facebook to be clearer in its process for removing content. A Joseph Goebbels quote that a user said was being used to critique Donald Trump was reinstated after being removed for content promoting a, quote, dangerous individual, unquote, and a post describing hydroxychloroquine as harmless was reinstated as it was part of promoting policy debate. The one post the board upheld was hate speech directed toward Azerbaijanis. The decision, it It shows the savviness of Facebook in instituting an external body because it basically now has the scapegoat to offload its most controversial decisions to. But what the board is going to do is it's going to challenge Facebook and it's going to hopefully help Facebook in creating some consistency in its moderation practices. But I mean, based off of these decisions, I think Donald Trump's account is probably going to be to come back because I think the board is when they make that decision, they're just going to say, Facebook, you weren't clear in your policies in terms of banning this account. There's no consistency there. We'll see, but that's what I think is going to happen. All right, that's it for the week's main story. So now I'm going to dive into the news quick hits where I'm going to hit other stories that happened this week at a high level that I didn't discuss earlier. So Instagram, they just rolled out what they call they, they call their professional dashboard. This is a destination where creators and small businesses, they're able to see how their accounts are performing. They can access tools to improve account management more efficiently and view educational resources. Some of the content, it's lived elsewhere on Instagram in the past, but but they're working clearly working to centralize it. TikTok, they rolled out a similar version last week focused on creators. The TikTok Creator Portal, this is an education destination with tips ranging from getting started on creating content for TikTok to monetizing that content. Both platforms highly focused on engaging the creator community. 
Vimeo is getting some integrations with HubSpot, MailChimp, and Constant Contact, along with the ability to add contact platforms to videos. The integrations, they position Vimeo much less as like a YouTube alternative and much more a lead gen platform. Businesses using video to drive business, they might do themselves a favor in giving Vimeo at least a look. Instagram just introduced a content publishing API that will allow for the scheduling and publishing of single photo and single video posts for business accounts. There have always been, there have been ways not always been, but there have been ways in the past for businesses to automate publishing to Instagram, such as from like the Facebook creator studio. But this update, it's going to make that ability more widespread in other apps. And lastly, HBO Max's strategy of premiering movies on its platform, most notably Wonder Woman 1984, it's really paying off. 17.2 million users have signed up since May. All right, that's it for episode 434 of Brave Ad World. Before I let you go, I always want to hear from you. Send questions, send comments. Let me know what you like. Let me know what you don't like to braveadworld at gmail.com. And if you get a chance, please rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts or your platform of choice. It helps me know what you think and it helps others find the podcast. I can be found on Twitter at TWigert. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great week. Thanks for listening. For more, check out braveadworld.com.